The viewpoints expressed on Night Fright are not necessarily those of the host, the staff, the sponsors, or the affiliate stations. Tonight's program may contain graphic themes or images. Viewer discretion is advised. There is a time for There is a time for answers. There is a time to challenge. There is a time to speculate. There is a time for change. There is a time for truth. The time is now. Showtime! Welcome to Night Fright. I'm your host, Brent Holland. Thank you, one and all, for joining us tonight, folks. You know, in the Christian Gospels, there are two bold statements that sometimes get overlooked. They are Jesus' statement, the first one, You will do the works that I do, and greater works will you do in the fullness of time. That's the first one. Now, the second one is from St. Paul, and that one is, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall all be changed. Our guest tonight, Barbara Marks Hubbard, believes that these statements are coming true. The promise is being kept. We are all being changed. We do have the power of what we call gods. We can destroy the world, and we can also restore the earth. We can evolve ourselves and all of society. This is the last trump, and the trumpet is sounding for our generation. Barbara Marks Hubbard has been called the voice for conscious evolution by Tipak Chopra. In 1984, are you ready for this, folks? Her name was placed in nomination for, of all things, the vice presidency of the United States on the Democratic ticket. She called for a peace room. That was to scan for, map, connect, and communicate what is working in America and the world. She also co-chaired a number of Soviet American citizen summits, introducing a new concept called SINCON, which we'll get to later on tonight, to foster synergistic convergence with opposing groups. Barbara Marks Hubbard is not an idealist, or so she claims, nor does she believe that social and planetary change is simple. But she does believe that humanity does have the tools, does have the fortitude, and above all, the resolve to take that leap towards conscious evolution. It's my great pleasure to welcome Barbara Marks Hubbard to the show. Welcome all the way from Berkeley, California. I'm doing very well, thank you. Very well. Evolving every minute. 
There you go. And we are too, right alongside <laughs> you. <laughs> when I was doing my research um, over the past few weeks, I came across what is called Christ consciousness. For yes. those that may be a little bit of af afraid of what exactly that is, could you give us your definition of what you classify as Christ consciousness? Well, I mean, one of the best way of really thinking of it is the consciousness that was in Christ as a new norm for humanity. And he said, you know, you will do the works that I do and greater works. And he had the whole moral commitment, uh, the love you one another, do unto others, uh, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. So the whole Sermon on the Mount and morality is certainly prime in Christ consciousness. Christ consciousness also is the amazing story that when he decided to go to Jerusalem and knew he was going to head in to the crucifixion, he knew that. And then he went through that agony. Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. So there's a deep Christ consciousness at the ultimate point of forgiveness. And then he appeared as a new being. And the being was able to appear and disappear. So let's just for a moment assume that one day humanity will have new bodies. You know, nature doesn't keep the same old bodies. For billions of years, bodies have been changing with consciousness. So I'm just holding the possibility that actually we will have consciousness that is direct knowledge of the process of creation or God. If you see me, you've seen the Father. So true Christ consciousness would have that ability. Okay. Please continue. Yes. And so it's certainly uh, something that I feel also represents the future of humanity that his love of everyone, of everything, of seeing the goodness in everyone, of being able to forgive, is ne necessary now for humanity to survive. So the separation, the domination and control of modern society is no longer viable. So Christ consciousness is coming up as something that we're all attracted to, to become loving, creative, and imbued with the power of healing, of producing an abundance of um, healing. So I, I would say it's just simply the next stage of human consciousness. The next stage of evolution. How long would this evolution take in your estimate? I think it's happening now. Hmm. That many of us are what I'm calling emerging humans who are moving into, for example, love of nature, wanting to co-evolve with nature, wanting to co-create with spirit, wanting to emerge as a co-creative human capable of healing the earth and freeing the people. And there's a whole mass movement now of people who are responding to the crises on earth with an effort to heal it, to, to evolve it, to create innovations in all fields. So we're at the very threshold of the Christ consciousness and the new humans in some people. Not in everybody, mm. but how many is enough to make a shift? We don't know. We don't know. I mean, how many Homo sapiens sapiens had to arise in the Neanderthal world to make a new species? 
how many loving, creative, innovative, synergistic people does it take to evolve a new humanity? We look at the Christian Gospels in this particular case as, as a roadmap, if you will, for this mm-hmm. evolution of Christ consciousness. Yes. Are there other holy books we can look to as well for, for some similar types of passages? I, I think it's very interesting that each great faith has had a version of this form of consciousness, but very different, let's just say Buddhism, whereas, whereas Jesus and the whole Judeo-Christian was forward-looking, ending up with the idea that we shall have life eternal, we shall, in my Father's house there are many mansions, I'll create a place for you. Very forward-looking, very evolutionary. Buddhism is almost the opposite, is being a bodhisattva until everyone is over their pain and doesn't want to get any further into human evolution. It's not about... Uh, you know, getting getting further into your co-creative possibilities. So that consciousness is complementary, but but in, even though it certainly ends up with a very deep creative impulse, it doesn't have that driving force of, you know, even in Abraham, he saw the stars, Abraham go. It was quite different. And then the Hindu... It's one with consciousness. It's very, very deep in its spiritual capacity, and it sees, he doesn't see the universe particularly going in a direction. It's more cyclical. What I personally love about the Judeo Christian is there's an intention of creation to higher order, to higher consciousness, to greater freedom. Uh, and, you know, if I'm a student of Teilhard de Chardin's writings, he he saw, you know who he is, a French paleontologist, Jesuit, mm-hmm. wrote The Phenomenon of Man, and he, he saw God in evolution, leading to what the law of complexity, consciousness. That is to say, as systems become more com- complex, they jump in consciousness and in freedom. So there's that direction, and he saw finally... In our generation, at some point, the, the noosphere, or the thinking layer, or the global social media, which didn't exist at that time when he wrote it, would get its collective eyes. Our whole planetary nervous system would turn on with, with a feeling of love and creativity. And he called it the Christification of the Earth. It has been called the planetary awakening, the rapture, the new Jerusalem. But something great is coming. Now, that's not at all in Buddhism. And it's really not in Hinduism, as far as I know. I'm not certainly not a Hindu scholar. But what is very great in Hinduism in this particular instance is the experience that consciousness is prime, that the universe, it's a conscious universe. Now, of course, what's happened with materialistic-based science is they don't see a meaning and direction in the universe. They see it materialistic, but even the best of scientists now are seeing this much, much deeper than a haphazard, undirected universe, and seeing that the universe itself is informed by a divine, divine or extraordinary universal intelligence. Barbara, is the ultimate goal to shed this body of ours and become pure energy, pure spirit? I don't think so. Okay. Why would we need our bodies? 
Well, you know, it's interesting thing if you observe, if you want to say it, God's design. Mm-hmm. God loves bodies. <laughs> you <laughs> <Me> know? <too. laughs> <laughs> call me old-fashioned. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, call me old-fashioned. But why did God create quarks, electrons, protons, neutrons, neutrons, uh, amoebas, multicellular creatures, new bodies, and new consciousness always have gone together. Mm. And the more complex the body, the greater the consciousness. So apparently, in order for there to be more and more consciousness up till now, there were more and more complex and beautifully organized bodies, as ours is, and then we now have extended capacities in our media, in our nanotech, biotech, computing, my God, we're suddenly connected with everyone everywhere in our cell phones. So the, the, the field in which this human is growing has actually changed. And if you add some of the biological possibilities mm-hmm. of extending life, radical life extension, um, uploading intelligence into the silicon-based forms, you're seeing new, new life forms coming out of us. And eventually, my own belief is that the life forms that we create through technology will become a cosmic species, because you can't really take the biological carbon-based body very far into space. And if we're supposed to be part of the universe, we're probably going to create a cosmic species ourselves. I mean, these are things that God loves bodies. That's well, my prediction. Yeah. That's, that's not a prediction. That's an observation. That's an observation. <laughs> Do you think we're going to merge somehow or become a hybrid with, uh, you know, they're, they're already talking about, uh, they've done it with animals. They put chips in animals. And they're already talking about doing that with kids. And the reason to do it with kids, of course, if your kid has an accident, you're not around. Uh, they're able to scan that chip and have their whole medical records present. If the child is abducted, once again, they can locate the child instantaneously. Do you think that's the beginning of the body evolution part of it? I do. I do. Uh-huh. And I think holograms, you know, and, and the uh, this whole new form of reality that you can't tell, actually. I remember sitting next to a very famous man who was doing, what is it called when they do, um, it, it's, it's like a reality structure where you can't tell the difference between what's actually 3D reality and what is a hologram. And there is a word for this, and the virtual reality has become so proficient that it has it's already true that you can create environments that people would not know at look, by looking at it, whether or not it was tangible or not, so you could walk through bodies if they were holograms, and holograms can travel with the speed of light. And what if holograms are imbued with information and intelligence like our computers? Well, you know? Yeah, the possibilities are endless. Yeah, please go ahead. To get back to Jesus and Mm -hmm. my book, uh, Evolutionary Testament, is when I'm a Jewish agnostic uh, sort of uh, evolutionary woman. (laughs) No religion. Doesn't make you a bad person. (laughs) <laughs> I was going to ask you about Kabbalah and uh, also Torah, uh, but you know we can get we can jump to that in a few seconds. So okay, okay. 
but but I, I re- realized as I was reading the New Testament, just because I got inspired one day, taking a walk, and I got to a monastery, is that I read it with the eyes of a futurist. Mm. And I asked a simple question, like, how, how could this be so, and what does this mean? So I didn't do a theological interpretation. I did an evolutionary insight. Uh, for example, the phrase of St. Paul, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling, twinkling of, of an eye, at the last trump, and the trumpet shall sound. You know, this mortal will become immortal, this, this broken will become whole. And I thought, you know, that's what's happening. There's a lot that's broken, but there's also the new emerging consciousness of the whole, loving the whole, part of the whole, mm-hmm. imbued by, by universal intelligence. I know people, I mean, my whole teaching uh, in evol- conscious evolution is about teaching the potential for that. You know, I was going to ask you, is, are the Gospels the natural evolution at that period of time from the Jewish tradition, the Torah, into the Gospels? Is that the ushering in of a new consciousness at that time? And what we're talking about now, we're coming to the end of that consciousness and about to evolve into a whole other consciousness. I don't think so. I think there's a okay. continuity, a very deep continuity with the original self-consciousness and the great avatars and the life of Jesus specifically, mm-hmm. because he was so public in saying, we shall all be changed. And St. Paul, you know, they were, they were really waking, uh, waiting for the second coming of Christ. And what I interpret that as it, the first coming of the emerging humanity, mm. loving, love ye one another with all his traits, as an example of how we can become, including the miracles of healing and producing in abundance and resurrecting uh, DNA information codes into new bodies. All of this is happening already. It's quite an evolution going on. Um, I had Dr. Collins on, who led the team that broke the DNA, um, and uh, Francis Collins. And I, uh, I'm fond of telling this story because it blows me away every time I tell it. I asked him, I said, how much are a person's DNA similar to another person's? And I was expecting him to say, oh, it's 50 or 60 percent. 99.99999 percent of <laughs> all our DNA is the same, and yet we still find ourselves on this planet somewhere in the world right now Somebody shooting somebody else, and it just—you know—how do we, how do we well, all here's, create here's that critical you, mass? You have to have a little patience with a new species, young species. Like whales are millions of years old. We are a few thousand years old as Homo sapiens. Sapiens. Mm-hmm. You know, it. So it's very interesting to think of ourselves either as a very young species or a species who has certain flaws, like illusion of separation is exaggerated in us. And it may be that we're either passing away and a new species is being born out of Homo sapiens sapiens, a Homo co-creator, a Homo universalis. That's my own view. But So I feel we're having a shifting of the guards here. We're having a changing of the species. We're having the domineers, controllers, violent uh, destroyers, destructively motivated, fearful, and we're having the lovers. 
and the creators and the, the ones wanting to heal and evolve. And it's very different when you see the, the two types next to each other. It's completely polar, completely. It, it, it truly is. So I think we don't want to have a blanket condemnation of the whole of humanity, but saying the species has been young, we have done an amazing job, the Homo sapiens sapiens is a great killer, too. We have been extraordinarily capable of killing. And so here's now coming a species is saying, don't kill. Love you one another. Love nature, love animals, love trees, love universe. Become a universal species. Well, this is the new species, and, and I like that idea. And sometimes I choose ideas because I really like them. Because in, <laughs> in fact, nobody knows. I mean, it isn't like there's somebody sitting here who says, well, I can tell you how the humanity takes its next evolutionary step. And as you know from reading my book, my, my actual realization is that this is the first age of conscious evolution, evolution by choice, not chance. And mm -hmm. species have been evolving for billions and billions of years, but they had no idea they were evolving. So, and they, there are billions of species who were extinct before we got here with the five mass extinctions. They didn't know that they were rendering themselves extinct or were in danger. We do. We know that everything we're doing is affecting our own evolution. So, so the result of this is that it's the greatest wake-up call that the human species has ever had. You know, wake up and realize it's evolution by choice, not chance. Well, if I were God, I w and I wanted to create a co-creative species, I'd have to give them this challenge and this opportunity and see if they can make it. Do you feel that there's, there's a blueprint in place and we're following along that blueprint, or do you think we're creating the blueprint from our consciousness? I think there's a deep intentionality in nature, and, and it's beautifully stated by Ilya Prigogine in the idea of dissipated structures. How did nature get from entropy or disorder to higher order from single cells to multi-cells? And just at the point of a system becoming dysfunctional, how is it possible that all these mutations came in and you got a much more complex and interesting and mm -hmm. intelligent species? And that's happening to us right now. So, what was your question? I, I got, I well, I'm just wondering how much... There's always been the thought that we create our own reality. Oh, from, oh our own reality. Right, and what? if we take that as a model and we say, okay, that's to a certain extent true, are we creating our own future as well? Or is there a divine providence, if you will, that is, that is pushing us along to achieve that higher consciousness, that evolution? Well, if you look at the 13.8 billion years as an evolutionary spiral from single cells all the way on up, mm -hmm. it's pretty obvious that nature has an intention. It, it is not random. Look at, look at how it goes to higher order over and over and over again. So what we're experiencing is nature, spirit, divine intent, but now it's become conscious and some of us can choose to do and go in that direction, and others can choose not to. So the choice has been given the human species 
to to prevail or to go extinct by our own actions. Mm. Now, this is a huge step forward, actually, because it, it means that we are, are becoming responsible, responsible for our own behavior and how our evolution goes. When I first discovered conscious evolution, this awareness that we are evolution evolving, uh, people would say to me, Barbara, you think you're going to influence evolution like I was crazy? <laughs> I said, well, yes. Every, every baby we have, every, the food we eat, the cars we drive, the wars we fight, the machines we build, aren't we influencing evolution by everything we do? And then people will say, well, that's really true. That's really true. Barbara Marks Hubbard is our uh, our guest tonight, folks. The book is called, as I pull it up here, Evolutionary Testament of Co-Creation, The Promise Will Be Kept. www.nightfrightshow.com. Just click on tonight's guest book cover. We'll take you to a place where you can order the book from the comfort of your own home. And if you are in Canada tonight, um, bundle up. <laughs> That's all I can say. Oh, really? Oh, man, is it... <laughs> You know, we've had a very, very abnormal winter in terms of, of uh, temperature. It's been abnormally wa uh, warm. But tonight, I think they're making up for it. So, oh, is that right? Thank goodness oh, we're heading goodness. into spring. Yeah. Um, <laughs> actually, if you want to give your address out, Barbara, what, we can load 35 million people up on a bus and start heading down to Berkeley. Right now. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll welcome you with open arms. We You're will. very kind. You're very kind. <laughs> Let's go back, and I want to talk some more about this Christ consciousness. Now, uh, you come from a, a Jewish background, and yeah. um, a Jewish agnostic secular, really. Oh, agnostic. Okay. Jewish, Jewish by race, but not by religion. I had no religion. Oh, you had. Okay, I see. I was going to say because I studied with the Lubavitch guys in Montreal. I'm a Christian, but I was very curious about Kabbalah and Torah. Yes. And uh, the Lubavitch folks. Um, uh, for you folks that aren't aware, they're very Orthodox Jews, and um, they, of course, don't believe that Christ ever entered into the uh, not only the historical narrative, but uh, certainly was not the Mashiach. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because of that, um, I was going to ask you how you came to believe in, in the Christian Gospels, for example, or do you actually believe them see, in I'm terms not, that Christ I'm is a, God? No, I think okay. I think he said, "If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I come to tell you what you can mm -hmm. do. Don't you remember? Ye are gods." And I think he was quoting the Torah when he said that. Ye are you've been told ye are gods. So it looks to me that God is creating godlings. Mm. That that God is creating the creators creating co-creators. And as we get ever more creative, we have ever more chance of doing well or badly, you know, because we can blow up worlds and we can create worlds. We can build new bodies. We can destroy bodies. So we need to really see that we've been given powers way beyond the human condition of the past. And so, therefore, mm -hmm. uh, we are the first generation with the capacity to change evolution for the good or devolve and go extinct, knowing we're doing it. This is new. This is radically new. It's, it's the greatest possible 
awakening of humanity to its potential. The very crisis is necessary for this to happen. So the future is unwritten. The future is un unwritten, but there's a directionality of intention okay. to higher consciousness and more complexity in the future. That's what I believe. How much of a responsibility do we have collectively to make sure things go according to plan? And where I'm going with this are wars. Wars. Yeah. Well, I think we have an enormous responsibility collectively. Okay. And that what one of the things that we're lacking is a way for the people who are emerging, who are innovative and creative, to connect with each other and begin to reveal the emerging world to ourselves. See, I don't think, because what we see in the media, the news, is really understood to be everything that's breaking down, <laughs> which is sort of ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the, the real news is everything that's breaking through. Now, who knows what's breaking through because they don't get it in the news. And one of the things we're doing in the Foundation for Conscious Evolution, we're calling it a peace room as sophisticated as a war room, is really to begin to see what the new news is and how to connect that which is created. And the folks that don't want to go along with this new consciousness, will they just be left behind or will they eventually catch up? I'm thinking of ISIS, well, I'm thinking of Daesh, you know, you they're know, kind um, of fanatical and, and limited in their own perspective. There's an interesting observation that Teilhard de Sharda made. Mm -hmm. He said he thought there were two kinds of people. One is homo progressivist, and that's a person who is attracted to the future as an organism progressing toward the unknown. And the other type he called the bourgeois. And the bourgeois wants to try to hold on to the way things are or go back for stability. And you see that in radical religions, radical politics. You see it all over the place now. Hmm. And yet, so right now, we have fundamentalisms of all kinds reacting to the crisis by trying to hold on to the past. Meanwhile, we have innovators and creators like ourselves moving forward in every field. So if both things are happening simultaneously, and of course the great question is what will come first and what will come, will we move to devolution or evolution? Which will happen? Are they in balance right now or are they out of balance? It's a very good question. I don't think anybody really knows. Okay. Because we've never been through a crisis of this order for our species, where if we continue in a certain direction, particularly with climate change mm. and certain global crises that we have never faced consciously at this scale before, um, nobody knows. You know, I've heard from very distinguished people that we have, you know, 25 years to make a change or go extinct, that we have radical views. It's very, very dangerous, some people think. Other people can, don't even think there's a climate change problem, and that's <laughs> some of the Republicans. Well, let that, let that be so for them, but they go underwater, too. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, yeah. whatever your opinion is on these things, it, it is beyond anybody's opinion as to whether things are happening or not. So we're going to find out. That's what I see with all of this. It's about growing up and finding out. It's kind of what like this, 
it's kind of like the energy of fire, I see it as, where mm -hmm. if your house is burning down by fire, that's a bad energy. But if you yes. control, you know, it's very bad energy. Yeah. But if you're controlling really that fire <laughs> yeah. inside the house to gain yeah. warmth from it, then that's a positive energy. So really, right. it does have a human component on how we deal with that energy and what we want to do with it, positive or negative. Mm-hmm. I guess the, the crisis is dangerous, and it's a driver for clean energy, for example. It's a driver for yeah. zero-point energy. It's a driver for alternative currencies. It's a driver for new kinds of health, diet, and practices of all kinds. I'm on an interview. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm telling my friend this. That's so anyway, that's the way it goes. Nobody knows for sure, but it's much better to say, I know I can do something positive about it. That's much wiser than saying, there's nothing I can do, and it's hopeless. That's stupid. I agree completely. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. That, that's really not a good uh, response. Yeah. You know, you, you made a great segue about talking with the Republicans, and um, I wanted to talk to, you, talk to you a little bit about your nomination for Vice Presidency of the United States mm -hmm. on the uh, yes. Democratic ticket, of course. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can we talk about how that came about? Well, a lot of it came from my association with Buckminster Fuller. Okay. And Buckminster Fuller told me and others, he said, we have, women have to go into politics. Yep bring positive options for the future. And he'd heard me do conferences and lectures, and I got to be real good friends with him. In fact, he had had a Christ experience similar to my own. Oh, I didn't know and when I, when I showed him the manuscript of the Evolutionary Testament, he took me aside and he said, I want you to know I had the same experience. I was walking down the street in Chicago. A light came in. I felt lifted up off the ground, and I heard the words, Bucky, you are to be the first mini-Christ on earth. What you attest to is true. And he put his arms around me, and he said, um, Darlin, as he called me, everyone Darlin, he said, what you've written is the truth. I couldn't use the word God, Christ, but I wrote the same interpretation of the New Testament that you did. So, you know why? Both of us had a Christ experience. And the futurist movement doesn't grow that way. It has a lot of alternative strategies, but it doesn't have a spiritual sense of normative, uh, like, like if the baby's born, it's normal. We know what a normal baby is. We don't know what a normal planet is at this stage of life. No, it's a fact. Now, in 1984, did you have aspirations at all to go into public service? I've always been interested in democracy. So when Bucky advised me to mm. go, I said, you should run for president. Because if you do that, mm -hmm. in American democracy, you simply announce you're running for this, and you have a chance to tell the story better than if you're lecturing on a spiritual path. So I decided I created a campaign for a positive future. I attracted a wonderful sense of partnership and colleagues with Carolyn Anderson and her family. And I headed out, and everywhere I went, 
uh, talking about let's create a culture where we're mapping, tracking, and connecting what's working. Hmm. Let's have a peace room as sophisticated as a war room in the office of the vice president. Let's tell the good news. Well, everybody loved it. And so 90 Positive Future Centers formed. And people said to me, I want to form a center for this. And when I said, what is this? Well, the this was really the sense within themselves of a center they wanted to connect. And it really had to do with evolutionary connectivity, evolutionary um, communion and community. And I began to really understand that they were not running for me to become vice president, but for me to help them connect what was created in themselves and in their community. I see. And so they formed these core groups, and we coined the phrase, they were co-creators in the process of coming together to create. And I was actually attracting people with this passion. Now, Hazel Henderson said, Barbara, you sent out a bird call, and you got, you got a certain kind of bird. Now, I didn't get everybody, obviously, but the ones I got were so good that when I went to the Democratic National Convention with no money, no passes to the floor, no media attention, hmm. I was able to get in. I got to early morning caucuses. I went in like and said, my name is Barbara Marks Hubbard. I'm running to, I want you to nominate me for vice president so I can make the claim that the Democratic Party is going to work for the communication and connection of what's working in America and the world. And I'll turn my votes over to Geraldine Ferraro. I want to get this story out through your great platform. And they signed up in droves. And I was the other woman nominated. That's a complete miracle. Totally wow. impossible to do. I was told I'd be lucky to get one delegate if she were my mother. But when I did it, the guard took me up there and he said, now, honey, they won't pay any attention to you. They never do. You're saying this for the universe. And the universe I said this to was actually the universal process of creation. And here I am now at 86 carrying through on this intention with a whole team of people myself so i inspired myself <laughs> <laughs> did you get to meet any of the democratic folks um uh, ted Sorensen was a good friend of mine jfk speechwriter i was just wondering if you may have yes I, I did know him yes okay yes okay. yeah i did i did but it, you know it really was that i'm not actually political in the in the normal sense of the word I, I personally think that we're going to have an evolving democracy and i call it a synergistic democracy mm. which would be a democracy where people actually have a different rules of order they're trying to get to co together to cooperate and match needs with resources rather than destroy each other I mean, you see it in our Democratic National, in our Democratic and Republican Party now. It's all about how to destroy the other. Yeah, that's the structure. The structure is off. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree. It's 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 structurally it's, it's, it's structurally off. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mudslinging and everything else is going. Now, the ultimate goal of the Christ consciousness 
Is it a democracy? And if so, is that democracy run by leadership? I think it's more than liberal democracy. Hmm. I think it is more like a synergistic democracy where people are structured into a process of built of connecting re- needs and resources with each other toward a, something greater than the sum of their parts. And in my work, we've developed a, a, a wheel of co-creation that is structured as a whole. And so there's health, education, economics, all around this wheel. These are all the functions of the social body. And at the hub, we, we call this the heart of the hub of the wheel, it's where the impulse of evolution goes through your heart, my heart, as our own expression of creativity. Is, we become conscious evolutionaries. So I think we're going to have an evolved democracy. It'll come out of this crisis eventually. Would money be represented? I think there'll also be a lot of evolution of the monetary system. Uh, as people like Bernard Lyotard speak mm-hmm. of, I think we'd be moving towards many, many kinds of complementary and alternative uh, monetary systems. I'm getting the feeling that you're probably leaning towards Bernie Sanders. <laughs> you don't have to tell. <laughs> no, you don't have to say that on thrilled with him. I mean, I really, really am delighted that he exists. And I don't think he's going to get the nomination. I think Hillary is responsible. Hmm. And she is actually a fine-tuning of the existing system to a slightly better frequency. I think she is that. And she probably will get it. But... But I'm, I think we need Bernie Sanders to point out the complete flaws in the system that could lead to this amount of economic inequality, because that level of inequality can destroy any system eventually. People are too busy trying to put food on the table. Than it's to, just, it's yeah. destroying our, our, our democracy. Trying to put mm-hmm. shoes on their kids and everything else to even stop and think about right. some kind of peaceful uh, consciousness. To uh-huh. evolve to. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Until we free up our minds and take that stress away, um, I think it's hindering us completely. Now, I want to go back to the Gospels, the Christian Gospels, for a second. Are there things in the book of Revelations that we could be aware of? Are we heading towards an end time, so to speak? Well, it could be, but hmm. I think. Wasn't the answer I was expecting, by the way. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks a lot for that. (laughs) I think we're heading toward a planetary awakening. Okay. I think we're heading toward there being enough people who are emerging, are creative, are loving, are good, are connected via the Internet and the media, Hmm. such that there will be a new consciousness arising on this earth because it's already happening. I mean, I'm a member of it. I have a new consciousness. I am. I don't relate to that. I can see that other consciousness is actually of the past, and it could destroy us. So the people who are emerging, I'm calling it our evolutionary family. Now, an evolutionary family is a human like you and me mm-hmm. who feels that something's emerging. I mean, do you feel that something's emerging and that you're contributing to it in some way? Yes. Absolutely, without question. By just doing this show and speaking with a person like you. Well, that, that's it. 
That's it. So you're already one of that homo progressivist. And the bourgeois type trying to hold on to things are increasingly lost mm. or really obnoxious. I mean, it's interesting. Donald Trump is really a very interesting phenomenon because when you read all his policies, some of them have been actually rather liberal and good, but this personality, this um, and some of them are terrible. And it's this bombastic personality that is actually wrecking the whole field of, of culture. It's very, very interesting. I think he's breaking up the Republican Party. I don't think it can mm. exist with that because he's so popular. And, and Hillary is really so intelligent and so well versed in all of it. So to have, they're saying front page to the New York Times, what would be the contest between Trump and Clinton? That's a really interesting yeah. thing for our democracy. Absolutely, without question. And, you know, I get a lot of folks uh, writing me all the time because I'm in Canada, of course. You know, can we come to Canada? Of course you can. You know, the doors are <laughs> wide open. The only thing I ask folks, if you're coming, leave your guns at home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good Lord. Oh, Americans man. are really, they're somewhat of a danger on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> they're our family. Mishpucha. So, there are families. Yeah, That's absolutely. There have... are families. So <laughs> when 9-11 happened and, you know, they grounded all the planes, guess where they grounded them? <laughs> In Canada. We took <laughs> folks into really our true. homes. So. It's really true. Now, I know you, you grew up during the, the Dust Bowl. You saw World War II, Korea, assassination of John F. Kennedy. That is an evolution in itself. Have we evolved positively since you were born? Or have we evolved negatively, or perhaps even both? It's coming back to that question I asked about balance. I think it's really both and. Mm. But what's really good about it is the emerging humans and the emerging positive use of technology like, like the Internet and the cell phone. Mm. It's connecting a new nervous system of humanity so that those of us who are emerging, mm -hmm. instead of being completely hidden, we're now becoming part of our own communication system. That's, that's very big. And I think that in every field, when you look at it, right. let's say the field of environment, you'll see a tremendous growth of environmental concern. Look at the field of health. The whole healthcare industry and system is changing toward personal responsibility, towards mm. diet, towards exercise. I mean, you're responsible to some degree for your health. It's not just a fait accompli that you're going to get uh, overweight. It's not, <laughs> you know? No, so it takes practice. Responsibility. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you have to eat a lot. <laughs> yeah, and as I say, I have the perfect body for radio. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> you know, at the so, beginning I mean, you said we're all going to get new bodies? I was so yes. for that. You know, you could run on that <laughs> platform alone, and I'd be down there helping you out to run. <laughs> What's your body like? Are you overweight? Who said that? No, <laughs> I, I was just used wondering. To be, but I, yeah, I'm a middle-aged, chubby guy. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, you're you're really brilliant, anyway. Well, you're very kind. You're very kind, and so are you. <laughs> That's the most important part about you is is the fact that you are an emerging human, whatever your weight is. <laughs> Barbara wanted to ask you, in order to get something positive to move us forward, do we have to go through what would be perceived as a catastrophe? Give me an example. 
9-11, I had just touched on the fact that your Canadian neighbors took folks into their homes. It seems when things are at their worst, people are at their best. Do we have to have that worst to be at our best? No. Thank no, goodness. we don't. No. Why can't we achieve that glorious, positive uh, being without something catastrophic happening on a day-to-day -day basis? That, that there's enough challenge right now and enough chaos and enough breakdown to motivate millions of people to become more caring more connected and more brilliant and more awake. I think we're waking up as a species. And by doing these shows and things of that nature, you're getting the word out very positively without question. You know, you're, you're part of the new news here. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Barbara Marks mm -hmm. Hubbard's our guest tonight, folks. Um, www.nightfrightshow.com. Just click on tonight's guest book cover, Evolutionary Testament of Co-Creation. The promise will be kept. <laughs> that promise, where does it come from? Does that come from the Gospels, or was there a promise even before the Gospels? And who made that promise? Well, when Jesus said, you will do the works that I do, and greater works will you do in the fullness of time, that's a promise. And if you, when I say the promise will be kept, I'm taking the promise of everything that he said he could do or we could we will be able to do and imagining us doing it the promise is a worldwide culture of love of co-creativity of brilliance of challenges to to evolve beyond the current homo sapiens sapiens stage i mean I, I see that that's the promise it's not the promise of utopia it's not the promise that everything would be the same and would be just uh, fine, it's the promise of a new beginning, of an emergent culture, of a un being part of it. Let's see, there are billions of planets out there. We don't know. We may be in a universe filled with life. We may be truly like a newborn planetary organism just about to open our eyes. And that's what I think is true. Well, let's go in that direction. Let's step off the planet for a second. Would there be other species out there that will come along with us to this newborn consciousness? Well, there are many different opinions on this. Quite a lot of people believe there already has been contact with uh, higher beings, with uh, extraterrestrials, with cosmic species. So it's also true that it has never been a collective awareness. But I do know that our government, our military, is threatened by the idea of us having visitations from other species. And they don't want to communicate it in the U.S. They try to hide it. They, somebody told me, I went to a conference called Contact in the Desert, with a lot of extraterrestrial specialists in studying the phenomenon of extraterrestrials. And one of the things that seemed to be clear is that our government does not want the sightings reported, even though there are quite a few sightings. Other cultures are much more open to it. And we're afraid because our military cannot defend us against the technologies of these uh, light, they call them photon beings, because they travel beyond, the, beyond what any physical form could do. 
And so the thought is that they're made of a different type of physical reality, a photon, a light body, which, of course, reminds me of the fact that Jesus is said to have reappeared in a light body. I was just thinking the same thing. Yeah. And also, when you have a lot of these near-death experiences, I asked um, Evan Alexander, who wrote Proof of Heaven, what he thought Jesus' resurrection body was. And he said it was a light body. Mm. As you know, in his book, he, he had a near-death experience, or extended life experience, in which he saw light bodies everywhere in the universe. In other words, there's no death, there's new bodies. And I thought, well, maybe that's a preview of extended life rather than near death. Maybe we will have light bodies. Maybe the whole thing is true. Hmm. <laughs> well, no, absolutely. I can't see why not. Now, we're coming up to the end of the show, so we're going to have to start to wrap up. But I know your dad was an extremely famous toy maker. What was your favorite yes. toy? And I'm sure you still have it. <laughs> Gosh, I mean, I actually, I liked the yo-yo that he made. I mean, he that was one way he became famous is marketing the yo-yo, and it was a lot of fun that because you had to be good at it. But I had that's too why many I hated toys. it because <laughs> I was lousy at it. Friends of I mine, I had too know, many toys. <laughs> friends of mine could do it all, you know, all the walk the dog and all that. But so that was your favorite. Do you still have one? Yes, I have it. I have it somewhere. I have to go pick it up now after this conversation. No kidding. You're going to have to uh, reconnect with it, your old friend. <laughs> yes. <laughs> What's next for you, my friend? Oh, gee whiz. Well, next for me is I'm going to do an educational program on really becoming the new human ourselves. And I'm going to start out with embodying... <clears throat> <clears throat> the impulse of creation as who you truly are. It's embodying the God force as who you are. Wonderful. What kind of consciousness is coming forward out of us? I think of it as evolutionary consciousness. And I have the eternal, that's one E. I have the, we are embodying the whole story. Every molecule mm. and cell and brain and everything in us came through the story of creation. We are emerging ourselves as more creative, and evolution is becoming an evolutionary eros, evolutionary love. I think that's that's a good the direction. Mm-hmm. That's a good way to end it. I want to thank you so much for being a super trooper coming on the show. Okay, well, I enjoyed it, and thank you for a wonderful interview. Oops, here's the darn music. Barbara Marks Hubbard, thank you so much. I'm Brent Holland from Night Fright. See you all next time. Thanks, Barbara. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.
JFK Assassination, the definitive book by Brent Holland. From inside the Oval Office to Davy Plaza, first-person witness accounts. Order yours right now. Nightfrightshow.com.